Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Hello. And TJ. Yep. We're going to be talking about uh, a recent homework, Talk of Fame submission. By David. By David. <laughs> In absentia. We, yeah. We kicked him out. We were so upset with this. No. Uh, if we hit a rare 2 6 2 6 2 6 tie, we will ask David what his vote is to break that tie. Fair. Yeah. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about Alfonso Cuarón's 2001 film Itumama Tambien. Yeah, not like a debut, but the one that put him on the map. Yeah. yeah. His, well, he had, he had, he got some uh, he had done a, a movie in like 1991, I forget the name of it, that had gotten some some acclaim. Uh, and then he did The Little Princess in 1995, yeah, and Great Expectations in 1997, which I remember being fairly poorly received, but right. has gotten uh, a lot more, I think, fans as the years have grown on. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were like, but it's Alfonso Cuaron, it's gotta be, not bad. Right. Um, I think people are just not ready for Great Expectations set in the late 90s. <laughs> but uh, That's what Boz Lerman is shaking his fist at, too. Yeah. So, uh... TJ, you want to give us a little rundown on the uh, plot of uh, Itumama? Yep. Uh, so set in Mexico, uh, present day, I assume. Um, it's two friends that are middle class to wealthy. Um, Tanach and Julio? Yeah, I'm actually, yeah. just full disclosure for any listeners out there, I'm pulling out the cast list out because these names are going to be hard. There's only three, luckily. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know any of them. <laughs> it's so. Uh, Luisa is the woman. Luisa. Yeah, that's right. And it's Tanach and it. Tanach and Julio. Julio. <laughs> so, Julio and Tanach, yeah, they're friends. Their uh, girlfriends are leaving for, like, study abroad, it seems like, a Italy, summer yeah. vacation in Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are very sexually active with their girlfriends. Um, and that's the first two scenes of the film is them. Having sex with their girlfriends um, separately, not together. Tell me more about that, those that's scenes. A, that's a distinction that needs to be made in this movie, I feel like. Yep. Um, so they end up going to a wedding uh, of Tinoch's family members and meet Lisa, who mm-hmm. they are flirting with because she's gorgeous. She's an older woman in her, I would say, like late 30s. Mid thirties, maybe, or probably early thirties, because the way that people talk about how she's the right baby making age. Uh, that's true. Yeah, good point. Um, and they pretty much lie to her and say like, "We're going on this awesome trip to this awesome beach." Um, called, and called Heaven's Mouth. Heaven's Mouth. Yeah, uh, you should come. And they're just fucking around at this point. Yeah. Um, and she's like, "No, not blah blah blah." They go home. She uh, finds out her boyfriend. Or husband, maybe, actually. Husband, who's Tenoch's cousin. Is cheating on her. Um, And has a, on a whim, the next day, calls them and says, you're all still going to Heaven's Mouth. And they kind of scramble together and go like, hell yeah, we're going, and make the trip happen. Yeah. Pick her up, get on the road. Um, Full spoilers, by the way, if you've never seen this movie. All all of our homeworks are going to be full spoilers. Yeah. We'll still mention it at the beginning if we remember. Right. Um, so on the way she ends up, uh, you know, calling and leaving a message, I think is the first phone call with her husband and is kind of torn up about it. And Tinoch walks out of the shower and she seduces him and they have sex. Yeah. Um, 
they're just out of high school or seniors in high school, I guess yeah. is their age. Um, they have sex. Trip goes on after that. Uh, Julio finds out that they had sex. Julio then tells Tinoch that he uh, had sex with Tinoch's girlfriend in the past. You don't know at that moment if it's him just being pissy and angry. Right. Or if it's something that actually happened. Um, Luisa finds out that Julio is upset by the sex and decides to kind of even the score by right. having sex with Julio then and pretty much making Tinoch go sit in the woods while it happens. Uh, they pull over to the side of the road somewhere and, yeah. and have sex. Um, you then find out that Tinoch is telling Julio that he had sex with Julio's girlfriend. Um, you still don't know. If this is actual or if this is just boys being, you know, upset. Yeah. And their feelings hurt. Um, they end up getting to a beautiful beach called Heaven's Mouth. Yeah. Uh, randomly. Lucked out in that regard. Yeah. Um, they get there. They have a, like, super fun night and just hanging out. They end up having a uh, very, very intimate threesome after they've all been... They're, they're really drunk. They didn't really come across in the film until the next morning when they're all like super hungover and the boys are throwing up and shit. But yeah. they have a, a very intimate threesome uh, to the point where the the boys are making out and filling each other up and having yeah. just as much sex, you would presume, as Luis is with either one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, the boys wake up naked in the bed and are like super ashamed and awkward and like an 18-year-old would, boy would be if that's something that happened. And say they have to leave and they make up some bullshit reason like I have to get the car back to my sister or something like that. Yeah. Um, she decides, Lisa decides she's going to stay at uh, Heaven's Mouth. Um, and the boys go back. Cut to a year in the future. Yeah. And uh, there's a narrator, by the way, who explains a lot of this along the way, which is a part I want to talk about some. I'm just kind of interested in the narrator of the last yeah. this watch. Uh, cut to the future though they bump into each other uh, their girlfriends by the way broke up with them as soon as they got back from Italy you find out one of them's on the Julio's on the way to the dentist uh, T-Knock's on the way to meet his new girlfriend for a film they bump into each other uh, I think the narrator says something kind of clever like it would be more awkward to not it'd be more awkward to think of an excuse than it would be to just go have coffee so they go have coffee and they make like super awkward small talk you can tell they haven't really and I think the narrator says they haven't seen each other since they essentially had sex together. Yeah. no, And and no one has talked about that last weekend or week where they went with Louisa. No one has mentioned anything about that and, and her disappearance. She never mentioned even when she got to where she was that anyone should know that the boys came there. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tina then asks Julio if he's heard what happened to Louisa and you find out that she had like stage off the charts cancer it was all over her body she knew the whole time um and stayed in heaven's mouth essentially to die in paradise three or five weeks after the boys left her there yeah. and it's not that's not something that is a a like surprise s- super surprise you didn't Correct. know exactly what it was you see her on the phone with the doctor at the beginning of the movie yeah and she's pretty down and, and that's you- sort of what spurs her to go on this journey yeah you have a voiceover of her in the doctor's office yeah, you have um, that along paired with her husband, like refusing essentially to like see this out with her, right? Um, and Julio is like crushed, but and you assume Tinoch probably was at his moment of discovery yeah. with what happened, but uh, you know, 
Tinoch leaves and Julio sits there and kind of cries. And then it ends with a narrator saying that Tinoch and Julio never saw each other again. Yeah. And I think that's it. I leave out anything crazy big. I don't think I did. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, the, the, the plot here is kind of pretty bare bones. It's just, you know, it's a road movie. So it's more about the experiences. It's and, an hour and a half long too. It's not that long. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, I think the only thing that's important to the plot is, uh, is Louisa and why she goes on the trip. Mm-hmm. And it's, she, when she gets the call from Taha, what's the name of, of his cousin? I forgot. But it's um, Yarrow, maybe it's J A. It's it's a four four letter word starts with J. Is it, oh, Yara, Yara. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So she gets a call from Yara after, like, as she's at home in bed after like crying her eyes out because she just found out that she has basically like terminal cancer mm-hmm. and that she will never recover. And he calls and says. You know, I love you. I'm really drunk. I'm really drunk. I'm really drunk. And she's like, we'll go to bed. And he goes, I'm really drunk. I'm really drunk. And she's like, we'll go to bed. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And she goes, well, what happened? He goes, I slept with another woman. Yeah. And so, so that, that, the only reason why I think that's important to the plot is because that's why she takes these immature boys up on their offer to mm-hmm. go on their trip. Um, and kind of live a little because we find out later in the movie that she became sexually active late in life, and she met uh, Yara early in life. Right. So she she basically admits that that she had one other boyfriend, and she lost him because he rode motorcycles and he was killed in a road accident, and that was her one true love. So this this next man who came along, who's Tenoch's cousin, mm-hmm. is kind of just the second best. And after him, she's like, well, if he's second best, what, what, is, what else is there? And she's got cancer. So I think that's important only because like only, yeah, no, sure. only someone at the end of their rope would tolerate them. Yes. Because they are pretty fucking intolerable 18-year-old boys, which... Not, I not, think like, it's not, not like overly intolerable for an 18-year-old no, boy. And not a flaw of the movie, I think very accurately portrayed. Yes. Like, I think that, that their, like, gamesmanship and their, like, bullshit and their, like, secret pact and manifesto is very believable. But, like, the idea that, like, okay, so how do we put an older woman who would fit within their manifesto, who's also, like, sexually explorative makes sense and it's like well this is one of not like this is the way that you do that but this is a way that you can convey that and you can make it believable and and i don't know where this would fall when we start running this through the gauntlet but one thing i noticed on this watch and this is a second watch for brent first watch for chris and like third to fourth watch for me somewhere Mm -hmm. in there um the sex in the first two scenes is fantastic filmmaking and it seemed to it portrayed like the when parents are like you're not old enough to have sex yet you don't know what that is yeah like you don't know what it means that was portrayed really well by these (coughs) high school supposedly yeah aged kids having sex it was just like straight humping and pounding like there was nothing yeah you know what i mean like we only know how to do the one thing and we're just gonna do that as fast and hard as we can until we can't anymore yeah all effort no knowledge yeah um, it was just, it was, it's a good directing, I'm guessing, um, and good acting, but I mean, he didn't know 
probably what he had. I mean, he may have at the time, but he ended up having Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal, which are turned into like two of the most prominent Mexican actors yeah. of our generation, which is pretty lucky and good casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just, that was the, the big thing that jumped out at me this time. I was like, oh, these sex scenes, which are super graphic, mm-hmm. are they're good depictions of dumb kids having sex. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's only smart camera movement that kind of uh, hides like on-screen hand jobs. Yeah. It is just like it is a natural slow pan from like waist to head during the final or I guess the penultimate scene when <laughs> you like Louisa and the of, of course jumping a couple steps when the ultimate threesome or when when the threesome at the end of the movie is more just about them as Louisa says, fucking each other already. Um, right. It's it's obscured, but in a way that is like natural. Yeah. And like, kind of keeps the and pornography aspect of it out while still not being a movie that's about like. It's not like a lustful or sultry movie. I think no. it's still very much about... It's still very much like a coming-of-age story. Coming-of-age. I think there's some, some sexual identity stuff I left out of the plot on purpose. I'm sure we talk yeah, about it yeah, later. Yeah. But um, some of that conversation they have at the coffee shop at the end kind of hints toward that. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. We're ready for the gauntlet? Yeah. All right, number one. Was it entertaining? Like, did you find yourself, like, actually entertained by the movie? Or was it more, like, watching this for, like, to... So I separate, like, I guess I separate... Like, like academic watching I need to of. see, like, I know this is a highly acclaimed movie. I need to see why, like, Metropolis yeah. watching. Me watching Hamlet. Yeah. 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 Versus, like, you know, if this weren't homework, would this... Would you have, like, just kept watching and... and sure. I mean, I've watched it a few times without reason. I mean, it's, it's short enough. I mean, it's early stages of a master of film. It's paced extremely well. Um... I would say yeah, it's entertaining. That's weird. I I would disagree. I think that the one problem it has is the pacing. I think that the first like forty percent of the movie is paced poorly. Until they actually get on the road trip, I think it drags. And interesting. And I get I I I understand the character development of uh, Tanuch and Julio. And you have to show them kind of in their last summer, basically. Like their own environment. Right. Yeah. But then, like, I, I think importantly, it's like, this is, this is like the, this, from what I understood, this is like the summer before their senior year. So, you know, right. yeah. their, their girlfriends are coming back, they're going to have one more year of school, and then they're going off to university. So, they're, they're, they're on this before their senior year, as we understand in the U.S. And I, I mean, it's an hour and 41 minutes long and I think that the first 40 minutes is slow. Like, the bits and... I mean, that, that's the thing. And, and maybe intentionally. And maybe that's the, that, that's the problem I have not with the pacing but with the screenplay is that, you know, it, it is an objective of it to show that, like, this was a summer that they had all the opportunities, all the ability to have fun and be young and be kids. And it's like, but one of their dads owned a country club, so they were there every day. And they swam every day. And they did all the things that kids did. Like, have, like, I bet I can swim farther than you. 
And like they would go to a place, they would talk about a girl, and they'd, and they'd like not that everyone has this experience because I think that no one has this experience sitting around as jerk off buds, just like laying on the diving board of a pool, you know. Mm-hmm. Like there, there are so many events between establishing who these characters are and meeting Louisa, and then finally going on the road trip that felt longer than they should have. Yeah, I think a lot of that is, I think a lot of that falls into the sexual identity themes of the film and setting that base. Because I really do think Louisa is just a, like a... Well, she's a she's total foil for them. She's, yeah, like a, just something that binds them. Yeah. That seals that yeah. for them. Um, and then she's gone, you know? Right. Like, I don't, I feel like she's almost a... I don't know how to word it really, but like a like a red herring of a main character. Like I don't sure. think she's super relevant to the film. Yeah, the film's about the two of them, right? I mean, I'm not not arguing with you. I'm just no, 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 yeah. no, no. And it's it's just that so between the opening, so I'm thinking about like the purpose of the scenes as a hypothetical screenplay writer, and I will take the seat of bad screenplay writer since I've never written one. Because we all are. <laughs> we, we would all be bad screenplay writers. So you open the movie with them both having sex, so you establish their heterosexuality. And then the next scene is them showing how close of friends they are, which is what it does. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the next scene is them with Saba having this, like, weird, like, export. Like, the drug element to me is so just, like, you're making a movie in 2001. Is they have so much with like Saba being this like drugged out crazy guy from high school who's like your typical high school burnout mm-hmm. who's like in this who like lives in this weird house that's everything's permissive because when they show his house his parents are in the back like just making out uh, with both of them have dreadlocks and like there's a long scene of them talking to Saba in his house smoking weed and then you meet. Tenoch's spiritual mother and like maybe that's in there to justify the title and the late reveal which I think is a lie which has to be a lie uh, that Julio fucked Tenoch's mom yeah um, oh yeah sorry I didn't mention that in the plot you did find the out that the they, they did fuck their girlfriends though yes that is fact we yes. found out yeah Tenoch and Julio have a pact with a manifesto that's 13 clauses long and one of them is you never fuck someone in the Casa Ostra or Casla Ostra. You never fuck their girlfriend. Right. And then you find out at two different points in the movie that each of them has had sex with the other person's girlfriend. Except then you also find out that Julio never actually had sex with Tenoch's girlfriend. Tenoch's girlfriend just gave him a blowjob. Which still counts as sex, sex right. probably to yeah. most people. Right. You know. No free passes for blowjobs. But... <laughs> There's a lot of like, there's a lot of character building of Tenoch being a silver spoon youth that I think is unnecessary when you're already showing them like gallivanting the country club and like being at a wedding where the president is. That right. that that's where I think it kind of like the, that's where I think the lulls are because once they hit the road, I was fucking captivated. So you kind of said like that that they. They go further than they necessarily need to in establishing certain character uh, traits and uh, relationships with each other. I think they establish irrelevant character traits early. Okay. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter as much that 
that Tenoch's mom is into spiritualism. This this is more a reflection of Coron writing a movie about someone that he knows. Mm-hmm. And painting those details in, and then making that a movie, and then, like, when this movie comes out, it's like, well, this is obviously based on someone that I know, who had a life like this, mom was a spiritualist, whatever. It, it feels like a touchstone for people who are not the casual movie watcher. Mm-hmm. Well, back to the the question of, was it entertaining? For me, it, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle between you two. Like, it's, uh, it didn't strike me as unentertaining, but at the same time, uh, uh, I think I felt more of like I had to sort of actively watch it rather than just being like sucked into the point where I couldn't not watch it. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, how about the did the movie have give you any sort of uh, emotional response? Um, I think this is an interesting question. This is usually not one that gives us a great answer. For me, I think it was. I don't know. I don't know know exactly how to describe i don't know exactly what word captures my emotion regarding this movie Brent, but you're gay um not quite gay for this movie just uh but um no i uh you can't edit that out you know that right no i'm not going to i don't think anything i said was offensive it is thematic with the movie so uh i don't know i think it it reminded me of like dumb youth like it was like not exactly nostalgia but just sort of uh just like had me reminisce about like that time in your life when you're just like super horny and like you just and you're you make dumb jokes with your friends and there definitely were lines crossed in this movie that that were not uh things that that pertain to my growing up experience but also liked, I guess this is the best place for me to bring this up, is that I really liked how you would get constant reminders of how oblivious they were to the the, the real world around yeah. them, and how you would get, um, you know, the little touchstones of all the people they passed on the road trip, and then uh, the people who... Like all the military caravans they would pass by when they were talking about, like, <clears throat> the secret to, like, slipping your finger in someone's asshole? Yeah. The it's way like there's 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 the real world going along around them, but they're in their microcosm of this one car. Yes, they're, I really like that aspect of the movie, yeah. and that's the the sort of the response that I, it got from me, which is just like, man, I remember being so like oblivious, ob- yeah. obsessed with like everything that was happening to me, and just not even not even observant of of shit that was going on around me. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think I think most teenagers would have. Oh yeah. Hopefully, it's out of your system by the time you're 18. But you know, for a lot of people, it's not. Yeah, and they could have been younger. I don't know. They kind of had the emotional uh, maturity of like a 14 year old yeah, in this movie. That's sure. what it reminded me of. Yeah. Um, um, and I think I got an emotional response out of it, and multiple emotions as well. I mean, I always have watched this movie assuming they're gay. And in love kind of with each other and just they don't know it. Um, and I kind of think that's what a lot of that is at the end. Um, and I think Julio especially sees Lisa as that like bonding agent that kind of drew him and Tinoch as close as you could get together. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of heartbreaking because they don't end up, they end up where they're just like, yeah, we can't. You know what I mean? Right. 
I don't know if I I don't know if I read it the same way as like it them being necessarily gay. Although I just took it as like they are definitely not hundred percent heterosexual. Right. If we're talking about a like, spectrum of sexuality, they're they are further away from the end than they want to be. Right. And so, and, and they, yeah, because I think they do enjoy women as well. And and they intentionally try and distance themselves by using like derogatory terms for like yeah gay mm-hmm. people and by like you know Louisa a couple times is like why don't you guys just fuck each other already and they both just like look disgusted or they say like you know uh, one of the points and there's more emotions involved Louisa like shoves um, Julio uh, or sorry Julio shoves Louisa and is like you know incredulous that she would suggest that yeah. Um, in the middle of a fight. Well, uh, I mean, less than a year later, though, he's Julio's the one who's like, "Fuck it, man, our gay friend, he's gay, but he's happy." Yeah, My boyfriend should. Yeah, like. So I think I think probably so. This is this was my first time watching, and I think probably the first time that I clued in. So memory lane. Uh, when I first heard of this movie, I had a very, very, very religious, like very religious. Um, debate partner in high school um she was a um interested in doing mission work in spanish-speaking countries and so went with her mom to blockbuster and saw that blockbuster had like a shelf that was like foreign movies and eating mama tambien they had like six copies of it no so she and her very she was very religious and her very religious mom the two of them sat down to watch it damn it how long they didn't watch long well, they watched it. So, this is my first exposure to this movie, hearing about it. And since then, I hadn't really investigated what this movie is about. I was just like, haha, the movie about <laughs> like me having a basic understanding of Spanish and your mom too, where the cover is a picture of like two guys like obviously about to engage in a threesome with a girl. I know it's going to be about lots of sex. Yeah. So, the thing to me where I first was like, mm, this is not about like a threesome was the scene that I will make fun of, not make fun of, but make jokes about because I don't think it's super relatable. Maybe there's a reason for it for me. Um, And it's when they're on the diving boards and they're both jerking off. This is after they've met Louisa. um, And they're like talking about other girls who we never see. Not their girlfriends, not Anna, not Cece. And... It dawns on me now, talking about the movie, that the reason why they're probably able to, like, jerk off is because they're together. Like, there's so much about them being able to be sexually aroused and, like, be, like, titillated by the things around them is that, like, they're with each other. So, like, not only do I think that that Louisa is, is not really a conduit, but she's, like, a scapegoat. She's like, yeah, like, sure. like, like they're, they're so often together when they are, uh, expressing their horniness. Is that what you're getting at? That, yeah. Like, that they start associating that with one another. Right. Like, so like, so if we're, if we're taking like from a like hypothetical spectrum of like a hundred percent sexual, hundred percent heterosexual, like we've already had them whipping towels at each other and comparing dicks. Right. In the locker room, and then we find out even before that they've measured them against each other, and that like they have opinions about them even before that, and so like there's been a lot of show and tell, and then they've got this trip, 
and they're excited, but it's also, you know, maybe subconsciously a device for them to be close. And it's closer, like the only closer. thing they really talk about together, too. Yeah, I think sex. that's. I think I think y'all are making the point that they are more gay than not by continuously saying like this is not relatable to me at all. Oh, it's like yeah, because y'all aren't gay. No, I, you know I, what I mean. And and I'm not ignorant of that point. I I think that 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 an important thing is that like their absolute rejection of homosexuality is as important to their like overexertion of their heterosexuality. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially when I mean, you know they work at the government. Their dad's like the, essentially the Secretary of State yeah. for Mexico. Uh, like you said, they're at the president's wedding and uh, they also make a point to tell you like after 71 years, we got the assholes out of the government at the end. You right. know what I mean? They're living in, like, you know, worse than our country is now right. for 70 years. Um, yeah, I mean, so so all to, interesting points. And, of course, nothing's black and white or the movie would be shitty. So right. that's fun. And so to, to loop back to the question, I kind of took this movie on first watch as an interesting exploratory journey. Like, kind of in the shoes of the character. And I think that there's a reason why the narrator, why the um, why the vocal performance changes between the two, between the two men. It's not Gael Garcia Bernal or Diego Luna the whole time that kind of, like, like mm-hmm. switches back and forth. Is that, not that there's an omniscient narrator or that there's one that is narration from a certain perspective, but that it's irrelevant and that it's talking about the shared experience. Mm-hmm. So like that's kind of what I had is I, I had like a shared experience with them of just like I don't fucking know. And I do think that 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 honestly they don't know. Is that is that yeah. there, is that there's not really a time like, A an opportunity or B a time where they've like been able to explore this without having their bravado or their pride kind of get in the way. Mm-hmm. They don't know, but they know it's bad. Right. Yeah. They know they've been told that, that this is wrong. Right. Yeah. And they wake up that morning very confused by it all. Very and confused. Very, yeah. And they Up, don't like upset, the confusion. angry. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like we we've kind of already hit a few of these talking points. Uh, director, script, story. Uh, did did you find? Uh, do you think all the characters were? Well, I guess there's really only three characters here. Right. Um, uh, there's a fourth very important character named Chewy. Yeah. Like who is Chewie. the who is the best football announcer of all time? <laughs> oh, I love that. By part. the way, was that an American football joke that he made at the end when when they're like playing soccer on the beach? So one of their manifestos is uh, if you like America FC, you're a homophobic slur. Yeah, and then they say it twice, and then when they're playing soccer on the beach with Chewy, and then they finally kick it, and Chewy makes a save. He says like, and. Cornos with the save. Was that goalkeeper the goalkeeper for America? I'm guessing that was like an inside soccer joke that I was just like. Well, ah. I mean, America FC. There's a Mexican football club. I don't know if that's. I'm sure, but I, I just don't know. If, okay, I don't, I don't know. I'm asking you guys because you know more right. sports than I do. But anyway, so there's three main characters. Yeah, <laughs> do you think they were all uh, well developed? I mean, I would I would say yes. I think that's one of the strengths of the movie for me. Yeah, I think that's all of the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about memorable scenes? Yeah. I mean... I mean, I, I, I do think the coffee shop scene is a the first glimpse of, like, oh, Diego Luna and Gal, Gal Garcia Bernal especially. It was like, oh, man, 
This kid's got chops. Finally, when he's got his... And this is, like, you know, part of the character. It's almost a prop. But finally, when he's got his hair out of his fucking face... Yeah. You know, like, the mom... Tenoch's mom even says, like, you look so gloomy. Is it the girls? And he's like, yeah. Because right. both of them have, like, edgy early 2000s haircuts. And yeah. it's just like, fuck me. So finally, when they're, like, you know, starting university and they've got their haircut, I'm like, this movie is done such a credit to these actors <laughs> yeah. that they ever want to act again <laughs> by making them, like, have their hair pulled back in the final scene. Yeah, but I mentioned the sex scenes in the beginning and, and why they stood out to me this time. Um, and, I, I mean, they echoed in their, not the threesome scene, but the other two sex scenes in the film as well. They're good depictions of teenage sex, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. For me, the scene that probably stands out the most is the the... The getting wasted before the threesome scene. At the uh, that's a it's beautifully shot. All the drinking plus when she has them call out a random jukebox number and then she's dancing towards the camera. Oh yeah, it's a very memorable scene. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, really well shot because you feel sort of like entranced by her, the way that they might be. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus you get the, you know, she starts dancing with them. You get the guys who are playing dominoes or something. Right. Which is the most cliched thing in the movie is old men sitting around playing dominoes in Latin America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, the, but they, start like, for a they start like uh, turning their heads and watching her. Uh, really love that scene. Yeah. My, my favorite scene just narratively is um, they just go through their manifesto on their ride uh, as, as like the sun's coming down and um, you know, they're like talking about a lot of rules. Luis is really just kind of investigating like who these boys are. Um, <laughs> and they get to the hotel, they like check into different rooms and like immediately you think like these horn dog boys are like going to like like peep on her. And as soon as they get to the window, they have like the kind of like the honor to be like, "Wait, this isn't you know, Right. One, one, sorry, one of their rules is we will never marry a virgin, which is like kind of a clear, like young guy, like weird goal, like oh, I want to marry someone who's experienced sexually, right? Which is like the point of like me, goal. yeah, yeah. And so then they're like, so they've got this woman who's like experienced sexually in their minds, and they like go to like kind of be like peeping toms, and then she's just like breaking down, right? And that to me was like. It showed. It was the first sign to me that they had more maturity than they had expressed in conversation, which I thought was really effective and yeah. essential to my enjoyment. Because if they were just immature dickheads who just like, uh oh, like we kiss like each other on the window while right. she's crying, right? Then <laughs> hey, you want to bang? I mean, I don't yeah. think that Quaron would have made the movie if, right. if it was like, oh, guess we kissed. No, we're gay. Like it's <laughs> right. not the movie that Quaron's <laughs> aiming to make, right? Uh, how about the performances in the movie? Um, overall, good. Overall, bad. Overall, what? I mean, yeah, three of them are great. I, I think th- I Gal- thought they were all really good. I yeah. thought she, I think, was the kind of standout, but she also had more to do. Yeah, yeah totally agree. And then I think I do think Gal Garcia Bernal stood out in the last twenty minutes or so. Yeah, which makes sense. Give your thirty-year-old the the acting to do. The teenagers get them through the movie. You know. Yeah, although I was telling Chris, I don't know if you heard there. Like, 23, 24, they filmed this, which yeah, is crazy. 25, 24, yeah. Gallagher, yeah. Bernal was 25, and Diego Luna was 24. I mean, they they looked like they were 16. Yeah. It's the haircuts, man. That's what I'm haircuts saying. Haircuts, and just, like, the... They're just so, like, like clean. 
shaving. Were they were they shaving Diego Luna's face like every hour? I know. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, he looks so baby faced. Yeah, that movie. Um, but yeah, I thought she was. And there's just quite good, but she was definitely like I said, she was in the role that was the the acting showcase yeah. role of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she did a great job with it. Yeah. Um. Would you have nominated any? You think for anything? Probably not. Um, I think she could have snuck into a nomination category for me. Yeah, and Depending also she co- probably would have been like listed as supporting, which is, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, maybe, in that case. Yeah, the Academy is not ready for a movie that that races three horses at the same time. Mm-hmm. Especially not a movie like this, which has two lead actors. Yeah. Let's move to the technical achievements. Uh not really any visual effects in this movie to speak of. No, but the cinematography was Quora. incredible. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, I looked up. It's like, I was oh, like, that, guy, that guy's pretty good with a camera. I was like, oh, did he do the cinematography? No, but and I was like, a, no, it's Chivo. Yeah. yeah. Who's the guy who had did, like, he's done... The cinematography for every other Quora movie. And in Ritu. He did yeah. Itu Mama Tambien. He did The New World. He did Children of Men. He did Burn, Children. After, Burn After Reading, The Tree of Life. Uh, Children of Men has some amazing cinematography. Yeah, and, and then he moved should, on to win three Oscars in a row for Gravity, Birdman, and Revenant. It's just like, oh, you're the best cinematographer there's ever been. Uh, that's this, why this movie looked great. This movie felt, the cinematography felt more like Children of Men than any other movie. Than Children of Men did. No, <laughs> yeah, it's just no. like, like, the way that there would be like a simple revelation or like a fixation of a character. I mean, like... One of the brilliant parts of Children of Men is all of the shooting they did with the cars. Yeah. And that's what this is. Like, that first sh- action scene in Children of Men is just incredible. Yeah. The car coming down the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chiva, like, it's <laughs> horrifying. If, if he said that he learned everything that he needed to, like, filming this for all the car scenes, including, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the actor, I think, is it, uh, uh, in, in what? Children of Men. Cloud Clive Owen? Yeah. No, no, no. The Michael Caine gets pulled out of the car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Caine gets pulled out of the car and killed in Children of Men. Like, that is all... All that cinematography is present in Itumama Tabia. Yeah, and I actually... I read an interview with uh, Joel Cohen about Chivo because he used them for Burn After Reading. And he was like, oh, it's my... Every time he's sitting out to make a movie, the first thing I do is call and see if he's down. And he just never is because better directors than me use them too. <laughs> Because the only Corona reason Bernie two are using him, yeah. And Bernie after reading, um, he said the only reason I did that is he was like, "Our shoot's twenty five days," and he was like, "Yeah, I can do it." <laughs> but yeah, when somebody as good as I mean, when an Oscar winning cinematographer is still preferring to use this other cinematographer, you know, you got something good. Yeah, I mean, Gravity, Birdman, and The Revenant is just ridiculous. In three years, fucking Birdman, like yeah. <laughs> Gravity, all of them, like they're insane. That's Birdman is like the most like novice entry into understanding cinematography because it is a faked wonder. Like, so if you understand and right. you watch Birdman and you go, "Wow, the camera work is masterful," then you kind of get like a like point on the plot of yeah. great cinematographers. Yeah, it was it was the standout of the film this time through. Though the mm-hmm. cinematography was just. I feel like it's different too in the movie. Like I, I feel like when it's showing things that are more beautiful, it feels more like a like a 
you feel more more like removed so you can enjoy the beauty of something. Mm-hmm. Like a I, lot of, I felt like I was in the car and I never felt like I was on the beach. You know what I mean? That's what I'm getting yeah, at. And yeah. also like the early sex scenes in the rooms, you feel like you're there because yeah. the, the camera's just sort of you're just you feel like you're just a presence in that room with that really it helps to the not attractive moments. Like it helps more dry humping. Yeah. yeah, it helps to make it more like shitty sex. Because yeah. you're just like, I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it is not sexy. And you feel that way with her scenes with them, like when she has sex with them individually, but then... Not in the... Three, but not in the, the three-way. Threesome, yeah. The three-way feels more, yeah. more, I don't know, controlled. Just more like a movie it's scene. It's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, so, the way he can go from like, like, I'm going to shoot this sort of ugly to... This is going to be gorgeous. I, I don't is, understand. Is but pretty <laughs> impressive. Also, yeah. he basically did that, I read, with just like a tripod. Just a camera and a tripod. I, I totally see that, too, because all of like the longer takes are from a fixed point. Like, some mm-hmm. of the stuff that I love from The Favorite this year and is, like, when you have your three subjects making conversation, and he, like, pushed it, too. Yeah. Because, like, the, the first conversation they have uh, at their first, like, rest rest stop, it's, like, kind of tracking them all over. You know, Tenoch goes to get beers, and the camera kind of tracks them, but, like, still stays pivoted. Yeah. And then, like, comes back to the table, and then, like, they put something on the jukebox. And it's all this, like, this, this like, a few sweeps across the room, but it was still stayed kind of centered like a pendulum. Yeah, and Koran totally pulled a page out of the book in that scene in Roma, the riot scene. Yeah. Where you're at that window the whole time. And you see them come in. You see them execute the dude. And it pans back to where it was outside the street view from like the second floor. Yeah. I mean, it was totally pulled out of... Yeah. Chiva. I feel like there's not... I mean... I don't know if the editing was noticeable for me in this. It was just kind of told linear, linearly. Um, yeah, not bad. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that, are you, that maybe there's... Chris would... You're complain about the first 40 minutes of the movie could be related to the I edit. S- I, I so think it's probably more screenplay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, makeup, nothing really to uh, take notice of. The movie could have been black and white. Or yeah, I mean, I don't know what they did to the costumes to the boys to make them look 15 yeah. years old when they were 25. But. I, don't, I don't know much. I don't know how much set design went into this. I mean, it, it's Quaron, so it could have been like Again, immaculate though, set design. You get that, the but, scene of that last sex scene, that room they're in, like that, like fish hut kind of yeah. was so cool. It just it felt more. It all felt the, better than the three previous sex scenes. You know what I mean? All the really the like they just seem so authentic. All the places that they stop at along the way, like the the place where the camera kind of wanders back into the kitchen, and you just see women are just cooking it like their home kitchen. Oh yeah, and, that, and then old, that old lady who gets up just starts dancing. That's a great <laughs> moment. I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I was just thinking about about uh, Tenoch's first sex scene and cinematography still with a how, girlfriend. No, 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 with, no, with uh, Louisa. Louisa. How the camera's like stuck at the door awkwardly, like yeah. somebody who, if like, they were in the room, would be like, "I don't know what's going on." Kind of seen it the way uh, Julio sees it, kind of. Yeah. But then it pushes in once they like start having like penetrative sex, and it's just like it's tilted in this like really like, rough way, like. Kind of like the way that you would like squint and close one eye and look at something that was blurry <laughs> yeah, to really... see if you could see it a little bit better. And it's like, no, there's nothing better about this. This is bad. <laughs> uh, well said. 
soundtrack? Did you take notice of the soundtrack any? The, like, uh... Those mariachi in the middle are good. I heard a Ben now. Harper song at one point. Nice. In this movie. Uh, when they were in the car. I think when they set out. I think there's some radio. Yeah, it's all, like, music. diegetic music. So there's mm-hmm. no, like, real traditional score. No. Yeah, nothing to talk about, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like the one where they're like, I love this song, turn it on. And it's, like, the CD players skipping in their shitty car. <laughs> All right, big question. Of those involved with the film, would this be anyone's number one achievement in your mind? If not, for whom would it be closest? Um, we'll start with Cardone. I, I mean, it's definitely the one that, one of his biggest, but it's, I don't think so. I think just, even by comparing just foreign language films set in Mexico, I still think Roma's better. I think I saw a better movie like four months ago, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. They're both very good, but Roma, I think, is his sort of magnum opus so far. Yeah. In what has been a very good career filled with a lot of very good... Actually, I take that back. I might put... Uh, I would almost definitely put Children of Men above this as well, which yeah. is another movie I always forget is him, which I shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I'm not convinced that I would have Azkaban as a worse movie than yeah. this. Yeah, that's that's true. Um then again, it's not to say, you know... Those are all be, four, five-star movies. Right, I mean, this, this is... Coron's considered one of the best uh, directors right. of the age, so... Yeah. Maybe... I um, do think you probably have an argument with Diego Luna, maybe. Um, I think... I don't know if y'all have seen Motorcycle Diaries. I have. Uh, um, Gail Garcia Bernal is fucking phenomenal. He is. Che in that movie, yeah. so... Not quite number one for him here. I mean, he's the Che performance is like one of the best performances I've seen. Nice. So I don't have enough familiarity with either actor to really weigh in. No, I mean I've seen a few Diego Luna movies, and the most recent one I guess is Rogue One, <laughs> I suppose. And he's he was of, fine. Yeah, he's fine. He's kind of <laughs> he doesn't fuck it up. Right. Um, he's like a cardboard character, just sort of. He's just there. Yeah. I will say that um, he does play a role in Beale Street, but he's such a minor character that it can't really... Diego does? Diego Luna, yeah. Um, my... <laughs> honestly, the thing that I saw him in recently that I thought he was amazing in is he's the lead in Narcos Mexico. Oh, that's right. He plays I, the, I haven't he, seen it. But he plays the thin it. man, basically like the person who is the orchestrator of the modern Mexican cartel. And that was really well received, so that's not yeah. like an unpopular opinion. Um... And I think it might be better, but only because I think the role requires someone to ask to act in a way that is very juvenile, um, which could be a credit to Diego Luna, but I just liked his performance in Narcos Mexico better. Yeah, no, I, that's a fair. And and I will say that uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, like, period, is Babel, and Gal Garcia Bernal plays a really great role in it as kind of an... Accidental reverse coyote, which is fun. Nice. He's also gone. I haven't seen it, but uh, people love him in Mozart in the Jungle. And I haven't seen that. that. I don't think any yeah. of us have seen that. So, Gary Garcia, but also he's he's a international star. So. Yeah. Uh, he's he's uh, in the kindergarten teacher. I just watched earlier this year. Oh yeah, or last year. Fuck. Um, <laughs> Also, a weird movie, The Science of Sleep. He's the main character. It's a film, uh, Michelle Gondry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is really good. So, no, but I mean, I, the the film is packed with, when you're, when you're dealing with Gal Gadot Bernal and Alfonso Cuaron, number one, it would be ridiculous. 
if yeah. it was their number one achievement for both of them, it'd be one of the best movies of the decade, probably. Uh, was this movie financially successful? Mass appeal? Well, it didn't have mass appeal for, I think, very obvious reasons. Sure. But uh, it was financially successful on a budget of $5 million and made 33 That's That's a, yeah. more than I thought. 33 would yeah. have surprised me for this. For, um, movie, for a movie that is portraying lots of underage sex. That's interesting. It was. Uh, it won some uh, film festival awards as well. I, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Okay. Um. Do you think this is important to film history? Yet. Um. I think definitely opened a lot of doors for Alfonso Cuarón. I was gonna say yeah. I think absolutely because it. Kind of launched the three uh, Trace Amigos. I mean, I think this was like the. I don't want to say launched, but this was the. The film they wanted to make that put them on the. Put one of them on the map anyway. Is right. this uh, before Almodovar's first hit? Is he the, is he the third along with. Uh... No, it's Inaritu uh, and Del Toro. Okay. Um. Yeah, well, this also like kind of saved Quaron's career a little bit too, because, like I said, the studios weren't really digging him after Great Expectations, right? And this is probably the movie that got him, um, Harry Potter, right? Two thousand two or two thousand one gets you two thousand three is Azkaban, right? It's got to be almost sequential like that, um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which is crazy. That like, <laughs> yeah, Harry Potter hired the guy who made this movie. I mean, think think about like two years ago taking someone who's like your best outside foreign language Oscar winner and giving them like the third in a series of young adult fiction. Yeah, not only that, it's also think about the movies we watch for best foreign film every year. And think about the <laughs> the uh, um. The way the young adults in this movie conduct themselves. And you're like, let's bring that guy into Harry yeah. Potter. Um, well, he knew something was up between Ron, Hermione, and uh, Harry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is definitely the first like well-received film from the three of them. Okay. Well, the only... Yes. 21 Grams was 03. That's kind of Inuri 2's uh, first, you know... Mm-hmm. Go Babel was a six. That was really what well, he the, ol- the only thing that I would counter with is Amores Paris is a beloved foreign film early and it's from 2000. And that's Gallagher Bernal. Yeah, that's in Ritu, right? In, in Ritu, yeah. And that had a lot of acclaim as mm-hmm. a foreign film uh, nominated for Best Foreign Language in 2000. I don't know if it's due to Netflix or due to the, the sex that makes that movie. Oh yeah, carry on. But Eat uh, Mama has like that bigger cultural, impact yeah. for sure. Right. Amoris Paris was like that was like a. I remember it was recommended to me by my brother by David, my brother. Um, <laughs> but like, it also <laughs> it also has like the American rejection story arc of like this is a movie about like homeless dogs and dogs dying. Oh, so like, yeah. it's not going to succeed that 
like terrifically in the yeah. U.S. This one's got pretty kids having sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's American. I watched this one for the articles. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if it's really had time to like really influence any like new upcoming uh, filmmakers just because I don't know that it's it had won't. the time to. And it won't, right? I feel like like I feel like it's its influence is done because people influenced by Quran aren't gonna be influenced by this anymore. They're gonna be influenced by you know the like yeah, yeah. By films he made afterwards, which were better. Sure. Um and they're also going to be... I mean, Del Toro always seemed like the weird member of that group because he just did different shit. But mm-hmm. Inaritu and Quaron, I get them confused all the time because their films look the same and they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, and you're way more likely to have people be influenced by films like Children of Men or Roma or The Revenant or whatever. And it's funny because, like, Children of Men, that's, like, such a Spielberg film. Like, there's there's so many, like, touchstones of Quaron's filmmaking, which is, like... I can see your inspiration here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's got the best action scene maybe of that decade. I mean, it's, the finale of that movie yeah. is ridiculous. Um, before we move on, I want to loop back around. TJ, you said you wanted to ask about the uh, voiceover. The narrator. I just said I don't want to talk about it some, and I think we did. Yeah. yeah, okay. I wasn't really... I just find it interesting that the narrator is like by far the most reliable character in the film. Right. It's a film with three very unreliable narrators to the point where they, they're telling you things and you don't even, you know, you're like, well, fuck, I don't know if that's true or not. And <laughs> then they end up, you're like, oh, that is true. So everything they say is true. And then it's like, well, I fucked your mom. And it's like, well, well no, that's not true. <laughs> right. So just give me the old boring guy to tell me more. They never saw each other again. Like, okay. <laughs> I believe you. Do you think the reason the movie is called is named for that line because of the way they're just constantly trying to one up each other through the whole thing? Yeah, is it just a like a example of that? Uh, kind of. I think that's part of it. I definitely think it has multiple meanings. You know what I mean? Yeah. But not to be douchey about my answer, but I just found out things about Amaris Paris movie that I thought I liked and really understood about why it's named. Amoris Peros. Thought that I understood Spanish enough, but it apparently also means both uh, like like dog lover and also means uh, like misery loves company. And it was like, oh, I didn't know that interpretation. So I'm not about to say that this is called Itumama Tambien because it's like <laughs> kids saying like, and fuck your mother and like like mom jokes. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I will take a step back from this. <laughs> Wikipedia has schooled me. Is it one of the best movies in its genre? Um, first off, that's an interesting... Uh, what's the genre here? First off, what's the broad genre? Because I've actually seen this movie described in multiple places as a comedy. More, uh, more than a drama. It's a drama. <laughs> I never felt like laughing. There was the, I mean, I laughed a couple times like I do in other... like. Uh, yeah, uh, I chuckled at moments. Yeah, at, but, at, Near the beginning when they were just being like idiots. Yeah, like when he... Spills the wine on the cousin. That was a cool move. Yeah, <laughs> smooth. His little feint of tying his shoe, and then he bumps into like the oh. the guy who was like, "Well, I'm a writer, and you anyone can write, but you have to be a like." There's a, a real he even, he of great as, as he pops up is talking shit to Tinook. Yeah, so it's like you can't blame me. I was on your side, my yeah. bad, bro. Yeah, 
I had moments like that, but no, it's fucking drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was an odd classification. Um, but it's like Criterion lists it as a comedy. Well, and, Criterion's and, got a bunch of downer movies on it. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the happiest. It's like pa- like Papillon is like, well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> it's the happiest film in the Criterion collection. <laughs> Into Mama Tevian. Yeah, the one the one where like a woman who is like the spawn of people understanding their sexuality dies off screen of cancer that she is given like <laughs> forty minutes earlier. Lars Rodriguez watches Into Mama Tevian. It's just like hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had the characters literally walk through hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've seen this movie classified as as an as uh, in some subgenres like an LGBT movie. Um, I've seen it as like a road movie. Yeah, I think it, it's a very good road movie, and just as a simple like coming of age story. I think that's a, the road movie aspect is one of the best aspects of the movie. The the Agreed. the feeling of being out on the road. Oh yeah, I mean it, it is, it is a feeling of excitement and expectation from the boys once they hit the road, and a feeling of freedom from her once they hit the road. They're like the only time that she's ever anchored and like sad and crying, and maybe it's a front she's putting up, is when they stop, and when the journey comes to a halt and she's on the phone, and like that's when she looks at the boys and feels like that extra bit of grief mm-hmm. of like her relationship from like Yara is. It, and it's when they're like back on the road she's like chipper and she's like yeah. full fucking tooth smile <clears> talking <throat> to them about their dumb shit right mm-hmm. and yeah that's where I would put it yeah if I were to classify it. and I know that's not the question the question is, is it of the best of it and I don't know maybe not is it the best Mexican cross-generational <laughs> uh bisexual <laughs> road trip sex vacation movie that I've seen Yes, I've only definitely seen top five. five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of other movies that I would call a sex vacation movie, and Kelly just randomly turned on Couples Retreat the other day. It's <laughs> kind of what it's about, I like, guess. That is the worst sex vacation movie. Couples Retreat sucks. That's the first movie Ashley and I saw in the movie theater. Well, it was Couples Retreat. Wow, that doesn't sound like it came out that long ago. Yeah, Two thousand nine. Wow. Um, came out when Malin Ackerman was still relevant. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> like right after Watchmen, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was on some TV show no one watched after that, but... You think the you think the movie has aged well? Is, is there anything... Anytime you're, you're hitting on subjects like that where people feel... Have definitely evolved in their thoughts over 18 years, you're going to run into some of... Like, some small issues, like... Their use of you know, homophobic slurs and whatnot. But then again, I think that accurately that, paints them as Yeah, you idiots. make that movie down, you do it again. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that's the point. It's it's like, the the person who is, like, most questioning their ability to fit in with a group of racists is going to be the person who yells the N-word the loudest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so I, I, And I think, like, like, any story of sexuality is going to be evergreen. Yes, I think, I agree. They're, the themes of the movie are kind of always going to be relevant. Um and it's kind of nice that it distances itself from a way that, like, maybe a stereotypical filmmaker would if they were thinking about, like, well, this is a story about these two Mexican boys who, like, may be gay. Like, religion is not a part of this. Like, there's so much stereotype that's not involved that helps make this so universal. 
and the only thing that 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 takes it into the like specifically like like cultural piece is just that the movie is in like the language is Spanish, and it, that is that is not important at all. This could be in anywhere USA, right? Uh, but yeah, I also think like the theme of youthful oblivion is sort of timeless too. Yeah. Um, and then her ordeal through the movie too, her, what she's having to go through. I think that's also something that, that can always connect to people. Oh yeah. I mean, it's super revealing that, that later on when she's telling them at the, when they're taking shots of tequila late in the movie before the threesome, where she's like, I knew he cheated on me. You know, you get the phone call earlier where she's like, well, I knew about this person then. I knew about this person then. Like you've been cheating me. I was going to leave you anyway. But Which, it's, it's when she finds out she's going to die soon. That, right. And that, that's the that's the time that she, when she realizes he's cheating that pushes her over the edge. Kind of. Right. And just right. makes her just go like, whatever. I'm just going to go enjoy my last... I'm going to go have a week of fun. I mean, there's, there's like a really silly reason why they named the beach Heaven's Mouth. Like, and it's that she doesn't want to spend the last four months of her life in misery being like the, 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 the cucked wife of some philanderer. Mm-hmm. Like she wants to go have this kind Especially, of sex capade with these two young boys. Especially and, how like full of testosterone they are. Yeah. And then you compare that to her husband at the beginning of the movie when he's just like whining to the point of like nearly being in tears over his suit. Yeah. Whereas when they are talking to her, when the the rodeo is about to start, and they're like basically fucking grinding on her, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> uh, all right, well, we are ready for our threesome to begin. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, go okay, first because I have a guess of where this will go, so I'll get this out of the way. Um, the real question for me is: Do looking at the top of fame moving forward for me? Am I cool with having at least Roma and Children of Men, which I'm convinced I will always see as better movies than E2 Mama, uh, in eventually, if we ever do that, mm-hmm. and maybe Azkaban. Um, and that answer is, yeah. I think those movies are deserving enough, especially Children of Men and Roma. I think they're... You're wanting to make sure you're not cutting off anything Right. With a, with a vote either way. Sort like, of. are there like eight Coral movies that are better than this? And then I'm just like, do I really want nine Coral movies? You know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe. It depends. Uh, great, um, great time for that. <laughs> it's it's early enough uh, in his career, too, that he could make seven more brilliant films mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, but I like where this is placed in his filmography and what he did and how it kind of turned him to a track of making... Uh, probably two of my top 20 movies of that decade in Azkaban and Children of Men. Um, I would definitely have some guy Harry Potter representing that list, and that's my favorite one, so I don't know why. And Children of Men, I think, is maybe the movie that got me turned on to like being a cinephile. You know what I mean? That's the movie that made me stop watching movies and start watching films. Yeah, that. <laughs> that's... Man, I would just like if somebody said that <laughs> and meant it. We all use the word movies and films not interchangeably. True. And we all go to sleep at night and there's a part of us that is just like, oh. <laughs> I get a little arrogant when I talk about this stuff and I don't mean to. Um, 
I say, uh, I use the word, I just use the term picture, like I'm an old-timey Hollywood guy. <laughs> a Hollywood picture! This was quite the picture. <laughs> um, I do think this movie's better than Gravity. I'll say that. Um, but I'm, I'm a yes here. Uh, cool Ron is probably my favorite, and that's kind of of, of the, the Trace Amigos. And that's kind of changed over the past, you know, two films from, from each of them. So, mm. um... I like this a lot. I don't think the screenplay is super strong, but I think uh, the cinematography more than makes up for it. And this, just the story is fantastic. And, you know, that's my big thing about bitching with the Oscars and most awards is like uh, Mad Max can win all these technical awards and not win Best Picture because there's not an award for Best Story. Right. And Best Picture is like 60% Best Story to me. And it's just, this movie had a fantastic story. Great performances, fantastic direction, and incredible cinematography, I thought. Chris, Chris, where do you stand? Uh, So I am like, I'm on the inverse of stripes here. And where I draw the line is that... So solids? if If I'm voting in a movie like Stripes, because I think that it does an excellent job at uh, portraying the emotion and the comedy well in the first hour of the movie that I can forgive the last 15 minutes, then likewise, the inverse has to be true. That for this movie, the weakest part is the first 20, 30 minutes, but the back majority is fantastic. And so good that I think that I'm willing to forgive kind of the shaky start and and the, the kind of the, the rough road that it takes to develop these characters, you know, one of which being entirely irrelevant in Saba, that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take this with my ATV through Italy and vote it in. I think the character development is just too good, and it asks questions of the characters that, I, that deliberately at the end of the movie they're not ready to answer. Um, and I think it's really smart storytelling in that. And also, like, fuck, Louisa has such a tragic tale. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Like, she comes to terms with the fact that she's been cheated on for, you know, X number of years in her marriage. Like, has this fun adventure and it breaks down into infighting between these immature boys and who fucked whose girlfriend. Yeah. And she's just like, when she sets sets down the rules of, like, you're going to listen to me now, she's just saying, like, she's basically telling them, like, guys, I need this to be my trip without telling them the reasons why. Right. And then when you find out afterwards, I think they're the only two people on the planet who are surprised that, you know, she died at the beach that everyone drowns there right. uh, in the place called Heaven's Mouth. You thought you made up that is Heaven's Mouth, which is, you know, the place where she probably, if you believe in it, went to heaven from. Yeah. Like, so it's, I think, I think it's, it's a bit of, a bit of tragic storytelling from her perspective and, you know, a cute coming of age story for, you know, the rest of them. So yeah. I'm a yes. I'll make it unanimous. I'm a yes to. I, uh, you know, if, if, if a movie's not going to wildly entertain me, it should at least make me think and strike me in some way with its beauty. And I think that's exactly what this movie did for me. Fun. So, um. It's like three different reasons. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not the kind of movie where I want to watch it every year or anything like that, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a movie that definitely, um, stays with you for a long time that's why you don't have to watch it every year yeah because it, it will it, it sticks with you and it um yeah yeah i don't enjoy re-watching my favorite dramas generally you know yeah i love the movie beautiful 
which is, you know, Javier Bardem. And, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal is in it also. In Ritu? In Ritu, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is probably the saddest movie I've ever seen. And I never want to watch it again, but I want everyone else to watch it for the first time and only one time. Because it is fantastic. Well, there you have it. By a three to zero uh, decision. I'm guessing this would have been a 4 Probably. Yeah. Um, welcome, E to Mama Tevia. Mm-hmm. And welcome to your mom. <laughs> also. <laughs> Take us out, Breezy! Right. Well, before we get to the uh, outro, uh, I got some homework for us. We're going to keep rolling with this talky-talk. Uh, obviously, talking talk—that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> we haven't canceled it yet. We're gonna keep rolling with this. What does that say for you? Outro for the podcast is just like podcast not canceled. <laughs> uh, if we somehow were the first podcast to get canceled, as long as long as we start out with, and I'm gonna lean back because I'm about to yell. As long as we start each podcast out from now, back by popular demand, <laughs> one person. <laughs> Um, that person is really popular. Yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> their, their name is Popular Demand. <laughs> popular Demand has asked us to record another one. We're going to start a company and it's going to only sponsor podcasts and our company name is Popular Demand. <laughs> yeah. So Brent, you were trying to segue into something? Step three, profit. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, homework, we're going to continue with the talk of fame. Uh, trend and uh, I'm going to assign a best picture winner because that's been a topic of discussion lately on the podcast. We're going to watch in the, book. in the Heat of the Night another movie about Southern racism. 1967? 67 sounds about right. Yeah, I believe it's available on Prime. Uh, I just remember my mom loved this movie and uh, I think I watched it when I was probably about 11 or 12, maybe. And I really liked it at the time. Have not seen it since then. Uh, I'm a, I'll be a first watch. This will be my third. Nice. So, yeah, it's a... Uh, basically, it's, it's, it's a uh, police detective story set in the Deep South where an uh, African-American detective comes down to investigate some crimes. and uh, A character that you will all have heard of. At some point. Yeah. In your lives. Anyway, that's it. Watch that movie. And uh, this was Talkie Talk, a podcast for the Media by Us. You can find our articles and writings at mediabyus.com. Uh, tweet, tweet with us. Email us. Contact us in any way. Send a, you know, passenger pigeon or something. Just just let us know that you're... Passenger <laughs> pigeon? That you little... can't ride those pigeons. They're carrier pigeons. Carrier pigeons. <laughs> Aren't they both things? I don't know what a passenger pigeon is. Maybe I made that up. Maybe that's what we called them in ball ground. Keep talking, I'll agree. <laughs> um, this is David, signing off. <laughs> um, yeah, I... Uh, where was I? Thank you to the uh, Willow Walkers. And thank you to Boo Reefa. Willow Walkers, Boo Reefa. <laughs> Leave us a rating, subscribe, adios. Bye! Uh, by the way, pasture pigeon or wild pigeon. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. 
Kicking out records of all the things that I know 